Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Jennifer Hightower. Jennifer is the Senior Vice President uh, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Cox Enterprises, and she's been with Cox for more than 25 years. It's a great discussion. Jennifer takes us through her journey, her early years as a litigator, and she realised pretty soon that she wasn't meant to be a litigator. She t- takes us through that experience. A few years at Bell South, cutting her teeth on the early days of the when the Telecom Act was introduced in 19. 19- 96, so really at the forefront of learning in the space. And then what her 25 years look like at Cox Enterprise or Cox Communications and Cox Enterprise now. We traverse a, a whole number of topics. One thing I asked Jennifer is tell us why you stood out in that journey to rise to the ranks of the most senior legal position in the organisation. She takes us through that. And we hear a lot of themes that we've heard before about the importance of relationships, of networking, of taking opportunities that you otherwise might not have thought you were capable of um, succeeding at. So it's a it's a marvellous discussion. And she also touches on what her priorities are in the future. So you, I know you're going to enjoy it. And so in the usual fashion... Just sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. Jim, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're more than welcome. I'm super excited. Now, Jennifer, just to kick things off, I'm going to ask a bit about the Jennifer Hightower story. You're currently, we know, the Senior Vice President and General Counsel and Company Secretary of Cox Enterprises or Cox Communications took on that position last year, but tell us a little bit about earlier on in the journey, what got you down to the path of being a lawyer and perhaps some early pivotal moments? Sure, that's a great question. So I was one of those youth who always wanted to be a lawyer. I think principally because I saw it on TV and it seemed like something that'd be super exciting as a female and I thought, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be that phenomenal trial lawyer. Yep. So I went to college. Now, what was, was it the LA Law Days, by the way, just out of interest? Was it? it, was. <laughs> it was a, yes. That's... <laughs> it was. I, I was worried about admitting the actual yeah, show. I've, I've had to call you out on that one. I'm sorry, because it, it has been it's... called out a few times before. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you doing that because mentally I was like, do people even know <laughs> yeah, that show besides me? A, a yeah. small percentage yeah. of the audience, yes, they do. <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping I could go with Allie McBeal, but yes. I knew that would be disingenuous if you saw my resume. So, no, it was definitely, it was the L.A. Law days. And let me just tell you, law is not like L.A. Law yep. or Allie McBeal, yep. as I'm sure you've heard Cor- from 100 people on this on this before. Correct. So I, I was a poli-sci major at Vanderbilt University. Yep. Fabulous degree, loved every minute of it, but never really wanted to go into poli-sci. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a lobbyist. I, I somehow thought that was disingenuous. And I, yep. in hindsight, that's silly. And I didn't want to run for office because I didn't like the whole idea of exposing myself and my family, yep. or so I thought. Yep. So lo- literally, I thought I would love to be a trial lawyer. That's what I always geared to. I- ironically, if I had been a little bit more self-aware, I would realize that was exactly opposite of what my personality set for. Oh, I actually was in a public speaking course and dropped it because I was so stressed. Yeah, yeah. Should be an indicator that being a litigator was not the right thing. But I decided 
that that was just the bad teacher versus me. So it was a lot of deflection of who I was as a person. But anyways, regardless, I went to law school at Emory in Atlanta, and Emory has an incredibly strong litigation program. So I emphasized and I studied litigation the entire time, which was great in theory until when I actually went into practice and litigated and didn't like it at all. But but you had a few years as a litigator, didn't you? The first four. I did. I was in litigation for four years. I was in an incredibly good insurance defense firm. So they throw you into trials and I did depositions and I did lots of hearings and I second chaired several trials and I made it principally because I had amazing mentors at the firm, really good people at the firm. You know, I was like every young lawyer. I worked my heart and soul out at the firm. I was there day six weeks, six days a week. So those became my best friends. So my social life was the firm. You know, it just was sort of who I was. But the truth is I was the person that before I'd go into a courtroom, I'd have to like calm myself down. It wasn't that, you know, you're supposed to go into a career where you feel happy. And and high-fiving and and pumped up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, as opposed to dreading the day that you go to court. It was was crazy. So I had to sort of acknowledge to myself that that wasn't very evolved or developed of me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well then, I mean, pretty soon, I think you started then at Bell South Corp about four or five years later. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But tell me about the skills, at least, that whatever you learned about yourself as a litigator and the skills that you developed, I'd be really interested to know how well did they translate? Firstly, in those early years when you went in-house and then and then you can perhaps talk about um, a, a bit more recently. What is it about being a... And the reason I've asked that is that I think that's probably the most popular course through the guests that I've seen. They've started out life as a litigator before moving to the GC. Well, before actually moving in-house and then getting to a GC position. Yeah, it's a great question. You, you know, it's a good question because you do learn a lot of fundamental skills as a litigator. And without doubt, it has helped me as my career has gone on. So I'm grateful I did yeah. it. There is a definite different skill set between true litigators and those who've done it for a while. Yep. Um, true litigators are very competitive people. Yep. They want to they want win. To win. Yep. That's, and, and that's what makes them good. You know, They want to win, and it's at all cost. Truth, best litigators. I found that was not, that was not my personality. Yep. I was willing to – I really like getting to yes. And then I yep. would think sometimes, well, this is – why are we arguing over yeah. this? This is sort of semantics or – and that's, that was what, what was the wake-up call for yep. me. If you really want to be the best litigator, semantics do matter, yeah. and getting to yes isn't the win. Yeah. Um, it's winning. Winning is the win. So winning is the win, yep. exactly. Yep. Winning is the win, yep. and that's why you're being paid the money for. Yep. I think being a – but what you do learn as a litigator is you learn how to look at things from all angles. Yep. You definitely learn how to research, be thorough in your analysis. You learn how to communicate – which is essential as your career develops. It's, it's beyond critical as a general counsel. You learn how to, you do learn how to weigh pros and cons and to give cost benefit analysis, which is essential. The higher up you get in your legal career, but you do yep. have to have that yep. literal instinct to yep. win at all times. All right. So, so your early days then at Bell South Corp, I think that was during the time where the Telecom Act was being deployed. So I presume you had a you had a significant role there. Tell me about um, those early learnings, I suppose, and how that set you up for a, 
a career then at Cox. Yeah, Jimmy, you're, it's so wonderful you noticed that in my resume because that actually was – I was blessed in all transparency yeah. because I got into Bell, I got into Bell South right before the Telecom Act, yeah. and that totally changed the industry. So I learned Telecom law while it was evolving, yeah. the 96 – Act and why that's relevant is because it didn't matter that I didn't have the years of history as a telecom lawyer. I was at the same advantage point, and to be honest, probably even more so in some ways because I was learning it from, yeah. so I didn't come in with bias. Yeah. But there's no question, I in that role, my job was one to interpret the statute for the entire organization, and then to figure out how we could leverage that the the law to enable Bell South to get into long distance. Yeah. So. I was part of a small team that did the cost-benefit analysis of what do you give up on the local side yep. to get into the long-distance side. I don't even know how I was so fortunate, but I, I wound up in the perfect place for me yep. because it taught me business skills that I did not have. It taught me analytical skills that I did not have, and it gave me a subject matter expertise without question yep. because I really understood I really understood the Telecom Act, which not many people had that much ability to live it. Yep. Why I left Bell South is why while I was at Bell South, I was not a lawyer. I was a I was a lawyer by training, but I was in what was the reg, work field was regulatory, yep. and they didn't care if you were a lawyer or not. You can just be a brilliant person being in regulatory, and I missed the identity of being a lawyer, so. I realized while I loved what I was learning for my own personal self-worth, wanted to continue to be a lawyer. So that's a long way of sharing that that's how I got myself back into being a lawyer because I went to Cox Communications at the time, which was just moving into telco. They had not, they had never launched telecommunications. Right. At the time, Cox was a cable company trying to figure out how to get into the telephone business. And so they hired me to be a generalist who also had some awareness of telecom. They didn't think it was going to be that big of a job or big of an ask. And so that was like the thing I was supposed to do on the side of my desk while I was to be a a contract lawyer for them. And I knew truthfully that if you're going to be really in the telephone business, it's a job. It's a thing unto itself. So I just happened to be very fortunate to get to the right company at the right time. Then let's do a bit of a deep dive at your time in Cox. Uh, You've had a a 20 plus year career yeah. there and still well, going yeah. strong, of course. And last uh-huh. year, and congrats, you promoted to senior vice Thank president from GC. So, what is it that you're doing during the course of the 25 years? I'd love to learn about why you're starting to stand out because there's no doubt, I don't know how big the team was when you yeah, started, but you're starting to stand out. And what is it? What are the skills? What, what are the attributes? Why is Jennifer succeeding to the point where, you know, to, to, you at the pinnacle, of course, of a legal career to become the senior vice president of GC? I'd love to learn a bit about, about that. Well, it's a great question, and I, I may be the unicorn, but I will give you there is a case study for people like yep. me. I clearly did well in law school. I didn't graduate number one in my class. I didn't go to the Wall Street firms. And those are the typical people that you wind up seeing as yeah, general counsel yeah. of a company yep. like Cox. Um, I, you're right. I, I am incredibly lucky. Why I was able to succeed at Cox is one, I love the company that I work for. So I really, really took hold of the opportunity that was given to me. Yep. I really learned the cable business and I really learned the people. So I spent a lot of energy networking, learning, asking lots of questions. Yep. At Cox Communications, I also took advantage of opportunities that became available to me. 
For example, I was a generalist lawyer, and as I shared, I had this telecom background, so I leaned hard on saying, let me do all the telecom work, and that meant I worked extra hours. Yeah. I was fortunate, I was single at the time, but I definitely was, I was not the nine to five lawyer. I also definitely leaned on my outside counsel a lot to teach me things that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, my outside counsel at the time had a much broader sense of the issues and concerns for Cox than I did as the newbie in the company. So I was able to get engaged and learn some of the bigger areas of concerns that I needed to have awareness for. And then the truth is I also had the fortune to see opportunities open. And I did definitely have relationships that helped me get to take advantage of those opportunities. Yep. The regulatory affairs role opened at Cox Communications, the VP of regulatory affairs, and I had been the regulatory support lawyer for quite a while. I'd shifted from being the generalist, and I moved into being the operations lawyer, and then I moved from that to being the regulatory lawyer. I kept pivoting, kind of zigzagging, and I didn't do that getting lots of pay increases, but I did get it giving much more scope of influence, yep. scope of relationships. Yep. And when this VP role came available, I had people that I didn't realize until later were advocating for me. Yep. I threw my name in the hat with my fingers crossed, hoping for the very best, not believing that I'd get it. And I got yep. it. And I was blessed, yep. really blessed. Yep. And so that sort of opened the doors for me because once I, you're there, I was a VP and that exposed me to more levels of issues and a more awareness of things that are more important to the company. And so I was in that role for quite a while, and that enabled me to be able to make the competition and make myself known to the hiring manager for the general counsel of, C of Cox Communications. Yep. And I yep. happened to work for a gentleman who became my boss, and he mentored me, and he, he saw something in me, and he said that to me. I saw something in you that I hadn't seen in others, and I was, he was willing to take it on, that he would sponsor me in that yep. way. And he taught me the business, and he was... An amazing boss, yep. an amazing boss. He was my boss for six years while I was GC, and then he went on to bigger and better things. But he really taught me what he expected as a business leader and enabled me to be a really good general counsel, which enabled me to groom my successor eventually. Yep. I just I cannot emphasize enough how much it helps to have good relationships and to ask for help and to be asking for education. I was constantly learning even though I was the general yep. counsel. There are some, a handful of fantastic themes there, Jennifer, which we hear here, we hear time and time again, the, the building the relation, the, the putting in the time and the effort to network and build relationships, so, something I talk about saying, I didn't understand earlier on in my career, but how important that is and how that compounds over time. The importance of actually having people looking out for you, the sponsors, the mentors. Yeah. It's almost impossible to have a successful career, I think, unless you have those people. I agree. And, and often you don't and you don't know what's actually happening in the background and you don't know the right. lift that, that you're often getting. So that's great. Another one I really like is that that making yourself available to opportunities and taking those opportunities. Yeah. We never seem to find great success following a narrow path and, and playing it really safe it is always the one that's a little less traveled and the, the one that's creating a bit of fear because you don't know whether you can do it but but the real opportunity to grow what i call the white space around people that they can grow into which sounds like what you were doing really taking new opportunities and you said it correctly it is frightening yeah. because you're not the subject matter expert yeah. You're not, I, I managed a team. When I first became VP of regulatory at Cox, there was no question the people that reported to me 
were subject matter experts and they knew that role. They knew that they knew the subject. They, they I mean, they had to explain definitions of terms to yeah. me. What they didn't have that I had, they didn't have the relationships. They didn't have the managerial expertise and they didn't have all the leadership skills. Yeah. So we were a really good compliment because I loved my team and I gave my team a lot more visibility than they'd ever had before. So it became a very symbiotic relationship. I learned so much from that group because they were in the weeds that I had never been. I'd been at the 10,000 foot and they were 200 foot yep. and doing the work. So I, I became a better lawyer from, because of them. And conversely, they actually got recognized for all the phenomenal work they were doing. And they were so busy doing before that they didn't get a lot of people shouting out their praise. And I was so fortunate to work with them. I will also say it's interesting what you said. I, I agree. There's not a wrong to go on a linear path. If that's what you find makes you super happy. Yeah. I am fortunate that I, I guess, I don't think of myself as a competitive person, but I am. I was more ambitious than I even want to admit because yeah. I was willing to take the risks because I was ready for more learnings. Yeah. And I kept seeing opportunities that were open to me that if I didn't take that one step, I couldn't get to the next step. Yeah. If that makes any yeah. sense. Sometimes you have to take yeah. a risk to get to the next level. I think it's always a risk because it's all because yeah. you... The growth comes from getting out of your comfort zone, doing things that are really hard and things that scare the bejesus out of you. And, yes. and things that I, I would say, you don't really, you're not sure or you don't believe you can do yourself, but someone else out there actually believes more than you do. And if you've got those sponsors around you, that, that kind of combination, taking opportunities, willing to grow and having people around you supporting you, that that's a pretty fantastic cocktail to have for, you know, for success. I it is. Yeah. It, and then I think the thing, I think you said it before, I think the other thing that is essential for folks in their career development is you really do have to learn how to build relationships and to continue to nurture those relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a person who has relationships just to get to the next role. Yeah. I, I mean, people see through that. Yeah. I've got, I am a person who knows how to mend bridges. I do know how to pull people together. I know how to get consensus yeah. because I enjoy that. That's something that's yeah. back to what I said yeah. before. I don't like to win. Yeah. I like to get to a good result. Yes. And, and I think it's to be transparent, Jim, I work for a phenomenal privately held company. So we I don't have the same pressures that other people do yeah. that work for public companies, but my company holds itself to the standards of a public company. So I so that part I love. And what what our goal is is to make sure we grow and and, and bring the best results for the company holistically. Yeah. So it's, I'm fortunate. I'm not, I don't have the same challenges that other people have because I do have, I am in a company that I've lived in so long that I've kind of grown up there. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the importance of team in your own success. Cause you, you mentioned a couple of examples where you had people in your team that know a lot more about the subject matter um, that you do. And that's that being able to manage people who know more and just, you know, whether it's completely different fields or, or whether yeah. it's your field, but the specificity that they know is at a much greater level. We talked about that in a, on a recent podcast. I'd like to get your thoughts about managing and galvanizing a team in those kind of circumstances where you may not be the subject matter expertise. What are you doing to to get the best out of a team and, and to make it a high-performing one? And what are you looking for? Well, that's a great question. It's a constant challenge. First yeah. off, it's it's never an ending. It's, yeah. it's it's not something you start and stop. It is a constant role. Yeah. So for me, I'm very clear that I put my ego second 
to me, I'm very much about my, my team and my team members first. And I think people who know me would say that's probably my downfall that I do sort of like, I, I'm self-deprecating to a fault, yep. but I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm very much about my team. I definitely believe you have to have the best people on the team. And I, I, I know I'd rather have people that are better than me because then it's going to make the team better. Yep. I definitely pay a lot of attention to team dynamics but I don't let team dynamics control my decisions, but I do let them influence. Yeah. I find if you can't play in the team, then you're probably not going to make it. You yeah. won't stay on my team. Yeah. And I'm pretty direct with my direct, my report, my direct reports. I, I'm, I'm all in for each one of them. I don't believe in favorites. I will have favorites for a different issue, yeah. but it's a level playing field. But I'm clear that you got to play together. And if you can't play together as a team, then we have a problem as the team too. Yeah. And that's always a tough, tough one too, particularly when you have people that are clearly really talented. But I don't think I can recall a single example of um, a high-performing team where I've made an exception and said, look, this person doesn't fit in at all, but they're so good at what they do, we're going to keep them there. That, that just yeah. doesn't seem to work in the long term. It doesn't work. No. And it's a good point. And I think people always want to be yeah. working with this, the happy little group. And you, you got to have some tension because, to be honest, that's how you learn. I definitely – I have a new team. So I don't have – I have a great team, but it's not the highest performing team yet. It's a new team. We're yeah. still getting our own groove, and some of it is team members that I inherited. So, so my current team – it, I work with some really brilliant people, but I can be honest and say we're not quite a complete team yet. Yep. I left a fully functioning team, yep. but I'd been with them for nine years. Yep. So we had to go through a lot of growth spots to get, or pain points is a yep. better word, yep. to get to that place. And we knew each other so well that we were all around supporting each other. Yep. I think the biggest thing you have to keep reminding your team is what's the end game and what are we all there for? And it's it's really, people have to remember it's about the company and the growth of the company, yep. not about themselves, yep. which is the hard part. Yep. But once you have people thinking that way, then you've got a much better functioning team. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That, that, that's got to be the overall goal. Within that, if you can achieve the objectives within the team that everyone is learning, they're growing, they feel valued and respected, and they yes. feel, they're feeling like they're making a significant contribution. Yes. There's only those three or four requirements. But if, if that can fit under the umbrella of the overall corporate goals, then that's magic. That's if, exactly if we start losing one or two of those, then it get or they start conflicting, then it gets um, it gets really difficult. Yeah, that's uh, really true, and it is magic when you have it. Yeah, so it feels good. Yeah. So you get promoted in the middle of a pandemic last year. Tell me what that is like, and it's going to be a new team too. Tell me what it's like taking over the the GC and SVP position in the middle of a pandemic. What have you done? What was really hard about it, and what what maybe in relation to the ways of working has become a bit permanent now. Let, let, let's start, how did, you, how did you start? How did you wrap your arms around the new role well, in a pandemic? Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's, it's gotta be the worst time ever to get a new role. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been, I haven't been in the same room with my entire team yet. And I got this job 1st of November, 2020. And so, yeah, almost a year, and we've still never been in a room together. Yeah. That, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. We are on the camera together a lot, and as well as as nice as this is, this is still an artificial. <laughs> it arena. is. Yep. I do a lot of talking to my team members, a lot of one on ones, a lot of a lot of on camera, and then to be honest, a lot of off camera. I it, I I like better just talking to my my direct reports yep. versus 
seeing each other because I find that's a little bit exhausting in transparency. We do a lot of like walking or, you know, whenever they want to talk, I'm free. And oftentimes they'll call me and I'm on a walk with my dog. And there we go. I spend a lot of time of truly trying to get to know my team and understand really what they want in their careers. And as I said, I inherited a group. I could not have inherited a group of more talented people but they were a phenomenal team for the former GC. She was brilliant and wonderful, but I'm not her. Yeah. So we're having to learn how to work differently. What she excelled in is not my strong suit. And what I excel in wasn't what she was particularly, yeah. what wasn't her strength. And we've been, we were in the roles for di- at different times for different purposes. So I think that's been something that I can be honest. It's taken the team this much time. And it's been almost a year to start to realize, oh, Jen does bring some value that I didn't realize. Yeah. And they're having to like start to appreciate that. That's not in a negative way. Yeah. I think that they just didn't understand what they didn't see in me before. Has it been, what, what did I have to do was I really had to set a vision for them of what I wanted to do in this role. And that's been tricky. That's a, that's a, in all transparency, you have to clarify the vision. Yep. I had to get buy-in from my boss on the vision. And then I had to start communicating to my team. And honestly, my vision sometimes has not been in sync with my direct reports vision, which has definitely been, I'm a, I'm a, that's not been easy for yeah. I think both sides. Yeah. So we had to really figure out how to align on the on a common vision. Yeah. And if we couldn't align on, then we had to decide how we were going to move forward. Yeah. And so that's just you know that's the reality of a new team yeah. and a new leader. And a new leader. Is there anything about the vision that you, can you share with us, Jennifer? What is what that vision is? Sure. So I work for a company that has three different legal departments, and we ha- and I was the GC of a different one. And the way the company works is we have two operating units, and those are two legal teams. And then I'm in the, the parent company. Yes. The, the, and so there's always been a lot of distrust and mistrust amongst the divisions, as in, are we going to collapse into one legal team? And my vision was, no, we're not. I want three separate legal div- teams, but what I do want is more collaboration amongst the team, more trust amongst the team, more cross pollination of of attorneys across the team and why and then i've also been clear that we've created what we call centers of excellence at the parent company where we do work on behalf of the whole enterprise and the clarity of that was we're doing this on the benefit of the enterprise we're not doing that to take work from you we're doing this work as ours to let you all focus on the business specific work and what that meant is i had to clarify with my team when it's business specific it's not yours Right. It's theirs. So I think what you're hearing me say is there was a lot more role clarities, yeah. which is always a difficult thing because there's a little bit of, well, that's not the way it was. That's not the way I saw it. And or are you changing people's comfort zone? A little bit back to what we said. But I think people have gotten better with it now that they understand they're not losing their role. Yeah. In, ass- in essence, it's actually giving you the ability to go dig deeper and support the businesses yeah. better. And in that process, so the vision is for me is to help make my new legal team the best in class. We just, it's a new group. So we, it's very good, as I've said, but we need to continue to expand. I need to learn more about what other companies do. We need to be benchmarking against other companies. So we've never done that before in a holistic analytical way versus just a, what's the, what am I trying to say? Just, we're doing it with more intent purpose than yep. an anecdotal. Yep. Excuse me, I'm like a word loss there. And the benchmarking, I take it that'll be things like, well, well, 
internal benchmarking in terms of how you're working internally and the kind yes. of data points that yes. comparable legal departments are holding themselves That's exactly to. Right. And, and external too, outside council spend, the way they're managed. That's exactly right. That, that's what you're looking yeah. for, yeah. We're, we're actually literally doing the benchmarking against the size of our division's attorneys yes. and our outside council spend, the enterprise spend, and, and what are the things that we should truly not be doing in-house that we've been doing yep. and we could outsource that better and what should we be bringing, bringing back, back in? Back so we're stuff. trying to really be more thoughtful and intentional versus yep. how just being iterative of what we've always yep. done. Yep. Collaboration, a huge theme, trying to get you know people and teams collaborating more. Any particular steps that you're taking to improve collaboration amongst the, the, uh, amongst yeah. the three teams? Yeah, it's a great question. We, we, we do. What we've, we've got lots of different projects underway. So we've created, first off, the, the three GCs get together bi-weekly and we are very transparent about what we're doing. So there's more honesty. There, yep. Now that we were not honest before, there's more transparency. Yep. So there's less concerns and feeling that something's happening that people don't know about. And that enables them to be more transparent with their team about growth areas, areas of concern. That would be the first thing. But then we've also done a lot of working on cross-division initiatives. So we have a wellness team now that is cross-divisional. So they are mindfulness wellness team, and it's all voluntary, but it's it's a monthly activity that this collective group does something physical, even whether we're remote together, they do something. We've had book clubs together for that group. So that is an intentional way for people to meet each other they haven't had. Secondly, we have a new group that is really focusing on the diversity concerns for our company. Because yep. that is something that the lawyers in particular feel very, they feel that this is a very important time and something we should really be focusing on, particularly with so much social unrest in this past yep. time period. So that's something we created. The company itself is very engaged in this, but despite that, we created a diversity committee in the legal community holistically. And we have representatives from all three divisions and that's another group that meets monthly and then reads out to our department or to the three divisions monthly. Yep. And then we do, we, we're trying to do like collective CLEs, which doesn't sound like it's something that novel, but believe it or not, finding a topic that's of interest to three very different legal divisions yep. is challenging, but that is something we've made as a mindfulness. And then we also are trying very hard to do something social because we didn't do that. Yep. Each division socialized. They didn't, we didn't socialize as a group, which is sort of ridiculous. We should have more in common because the reality is that's where the job opportunities are. There, there are opportunities to go from one division to another division, and that's how you can get to the GC role. Yeah. So we have to work on getting to know each other better. And then the last thing we're starting to do as leadership is we're having more talent discussions across the divisions. So we know where the untapped talent is, and that's something that when there is an opening, we're more intentional about trying to move people around. So it's better for the company. Yep. Truthfully, then honestly, what you're going to hear me say is we're trying other opportunities. Whenever I can come up with a new idea of, oh, let's do this for collaboration. Yeah. We try really hard to think of it. It's just someone was pointed at some point where you think it's exhausting. Yeah. But it's 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 got to be top of mind. That, no, there's absolutely no doubt that the more cross pollinization uh, of those ideas working together, that's... It, it comes back it to the teams. It just builds a little trust. It, yeah, yeah, and it comes back to the winning teams because ultimately the, the your lawyers in the three separate departments are part of one winning team, and if they're playing right. three separate games, that can, that can be really difficult. Playing right. on the same field, the same ground. That that, that, that right. that's what you're looking for. Jennifer, can you call out what are your 
what are the three top priorities that um, now, you know, you're a year in, what are your three top priorities to the extent that you can share them with us um, over, no, over the course of the next yeah. 12 or 24 months? So top priority for Gen Hightower is to continue to develop the Cox Enterprises team yep. to, to staff it sufficiently and to make sure we've got all the right leaders there for and to create an added adequate succession planning. Yep. Um, I don't want to lose any of my leaders, but I need to make sure I've got folks that are behind them. Yep. And I just don't have it. Yep. So that's the first one. The top priority for the company holistically, and all three divisions are working on this, is to grow. We are definitely in a growth mode. We call it 2034. We have a phenomenal president that started five years ago. And we started, he said he wanted to double the company by 2034. So it is all hands on deck yep. across all three divisions to support the gr growth of the businesses and to support the acquisitions. And then my third priority is to then, with these new acquisitions, to figure out how to help integrate them. We are definitely in, as I shared, growth mode, and we're trying to get into new areas of... Cox is very unique. We have different expertise. We have a telecom cable company. We have a very large auto company. And then the parent company I sit in, is investing in sustainability and, and controlled agriculture. And that's a new sector for us. So that's just a lot of different yep. businesses. And my job is to figure out how to actually support those non-integrated businesses and to make sure we're giving them support. So that's another. Yep. That's a huge goal of mine to figure out how to provide adequate, not too much support, because these are new businesses. We want them to grow. We don't want the overhang of corporate legal, but also enough to help them get on the right track and grow. Yep. And if you're going to project out a bit longer than five or 10 years, how do you see your role changing, um, if anyway, I suppose to, because you've set yourself a 2034 goal, double business by then. Yeah. I'd like to see a bit longer term, how do you see your role changing, if, if anything? What's going to become more important, for example, uh, down the track than it might be right now? Well, in all transparency, I really hope by 2034, there's even more reliance and dependence and thought leadership to ensure legal's at the table. Yeah. That may surprise you. I work for a great company and legal's at the table, but we're sometimes at the end side of the table. Yeah. We're not at the right side. We're not yeah. at the right chair. Yeah. And I would like legal to be more of an integrated partner. And I th that's, I want to prove our worth so that yeah. the owners and that the, the leaders feel that we bring value add, yeah. that we're not secondary thoughts. So I'm certain that the person who succeeds me is going to be that much better of a lawyer and be that much better of a business partner because that's the goal. I really want because that's the the goal is to help the company grow and be as successful as possible. And I don't want legal to ever hold us back, but I want to help sure we we support that trajectory. And I want us to be more top of mind than yep. an afterthought. Fantastic. Jennifer, I know that mentoring is um, close to your heart. I think recently you, were, um, uh, you got an award of Mentor of the Year, and I know you're on several boards in uh, which you're um, uh, basically supporting junior legal leagues. Can you tell us a little bit the importance of mentoring, certainly in your career and some of the initiatives that you're taking on? mentoring others yeah that's a great question too I, it, yeah i don't see how you can be a, a, a leader at this point or particularly a female leader and not be a good mentor yeah. and not make that a priority it is definitely something that's really important to my company it is top of mind at all time and then in addition to that that would just be something that it's very it's it's what makes me happy i mean i want to develop younger talent i'm i'm on the 
I'm on the back end of my career. So it's exciting for me to see young talent and how they can develop. And truthfully, every one of my mentors do things that I'm like, that is complicated. Yep. That is really hard. Can you dumb that topic down for me? So I learned so much more from my mentors. I, my mentees are not in legal. I intentionally look outside of the, okay. of the legal department. I don't think yep. that's appropriate for me to mentor an internal legal yep. person because then it seems like I'm giving preferential yep. treatment to someone. But I definitely mentee very talented, high-challenged, more often than not diverse women. Yep. And my goal is to help them Figure out how to acclimate a little bit because yep. we are a company of very strong values and culture. And then also to teach the business to a lot of them. And then also I learn from them. Yep. So it's just, it's a, it's a very rewarding process for me. I probably spend more time mentoring than I should when you look at my calendar. But conversely, I learn so much more from them that it's not something I'm really willing to give up. Some of my mentors have become some of my closest friends. I, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. You know, it's part of the evolution of life. I think... I hope when I'm retired, I still have women friends that are much younger than me. And I'm not anti, please don't misunderstand. I realize the way I just said that. It sounds like I'm anti-adverse to mentoring men. I'm not. I have very few men who've ever asked me to mentor them. Yeah, the, the opportunity. I have a lot of women who've asked me. Yeah. So I just yeah. go where there's a natural tendency. Yeah. It, it's interesting you talk about the, uh, the, the learning that it provides to you. I mean, one great thing about mentoring, of course, is just seeing the growth in others and the potential in others. Right. And that support, but I mean that's personally very satisfying too. But I'd love to it learn is. a bit more about how you learn more about yourself through that process. That's interesting. Well, I have. So I'm not a very technically savvy person, which amuses my husband <laughs> for a telecommunications company. So I've had several mentors just be basic intelligence to me about teaching me the network, teaching me the evolution. Yeah. Cox is moving into the wireless space. That's a whole different service. It's a whole different technology. To be a really good lawyer, you have to understand the. You have to understand your business. I, I mean, I think to be the most successful, the best advice I'd ever say to someone: if you want to be a really strong in-house counsel, learn the business really well and learn the finances of the business really well. And for me, that's learning technology from a technology mentor, yeah. mentees. I've also had to learn marketing. I mean, I've been a marketing lawyer or marketing review lawyer. I've never been a person who's been the creator of the brand, who's vetted the brands. Who So I have a mentee who does that. And it, it's fascinating for me to learn the creative process because it gives me a whole new perspective yeah. of all the ideas and how there's just so many ways to think about how to position a company. So that's been something that's helped me strategically think better. I don't just think dollars and cents anymore, which is what I had done reporting to CFOs. I think that, but I also think brand, I think perception for the company. And then I also obviously have mentees that are more on the human affairs of the human relations side or employment yeah. relations side. So that gives me a different perspective of some of the concerns from the employee base. So yeah. all those things have really yeah. helped me to be a better leader and, and have a more cultural awareness to what's really important to their respective yeah. leaders too. Fantastic. Jennifer, I'm going to round out with questions I often ask my guests. Yeah. Anything that you've spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection has just not been time well spent? Worrying too much time uh, in my light, spending too much time stressing about being adequate, yep. too much time being all that's important. But the self-doubt, yep. that's something I wish I could go back 
and sort of say to myself, give myself a little grace. Yeah. Part of this is evolving as a person. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we all know this it, age brings wisdom, yeah. but it's certainly something I wish I, that's something I have to say to my mentees all the time. Like just take a deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, again, that's a, that's a common one. It's not too many times that you look back and go, all that self doubt I had, that was really, that was time. That was time really that's right. Time right. well spent. Yeah. That really helped me get better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This might tie into the next question, actually, because I often also ask, you know, advice to your 25-year-old self. One we know is don't spend too much time on the self-doubt. Any other advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Probably to be more in tune with who I really was as a person, yeah. to be be more self-aware. I mean, that's, again, age has brought on some knowledge there. Who I wanted to be was not who I was fundamentally. I think I shared that at the beginning. Yeah. I really wanted to be this courtroom report attorney yeah, yeah. that wasn't there was no way that was ever going to be who i was but that i didn't want to just take a deep breath and acknowledge that i could have other paths i think the other thing i'd say to my 25 year old self and i say this to my children all the time you know where you are today isn't going to be where you are tomorrow yeah like live a valued life live a life of integrity don't think about it's not just about business it's not just about success life is there's much more to the world than just work Yep. Work is fabulous, but it needs to be work for purpose, not just to get ahead. Uh, and it's funny, when, and I've got um, three kids in their 20s too, but when I think about myself back then, there is always something to worry about. And it's the uncertainty of the future and exactly your place in that future. Exactly. There's almost not a minute yeah. that doesn't go by when you're not thinking about where you're going to get to or um, right. are you going to be successful. Uh, I mean, it's... And, and, and you're right. Sometimes you get to live in the moment. Cor you correct. You get to be in the moment. You, yes. you do. And I think that is the most challenging thing. And that also happens too when you have a young family and so forth. You're, yes. you're on the, whether it's on the corporate treadmill or whatever it might be, there is always something that's occupying your mind. Um, and yes. it's tough to be in the moment too. And I think um, it is. It is. And it's easy for me to even say this. I'm sure, Jim, you're the same way. I say it, and sometimes still of I course. find myself still with that uh, damn phone where my son's sitting next to me ready for a moment to talk. Absolutely. It's a constant challenge. I think I, I get a little bit better, but it almost, you kind of improve incrementally with the decade, I suppose. Yes. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, another another common theme. And uh, I think it's a, yeah. it's a constant battle, but you've got to try hard because the moments, the moments are fleeting. The moments are fleeting. I think you're right. I can say, when you reference the amount of time I've spent at Cox, yeah. I, mean, I sort of forgot that it's been that much time because to me, yeah. I'm still a young person at Cox. Well, I'm not. I'm on the high. I mean, I'm on the back end of my career. But that's because life is. It goes by too much too quickly. It does. And so I guess that would be the big thing is to make sure. If I if I could go back and say live in the moment more and actually just be more present versus always living in my head. Yeah. I spent a lot of time. Spending yeah, we all do. In my head. We all so, do. Yeah. Jennifer, it's been fantastic speaking to you. I really Wonderful enjoyed it. You. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it and really enjoyed this myself. Fantastic. Bye bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.